0: Let me ask you a question: Are you on the train? Are you on the incredible Zabe train that has pulled out of the station five zero oh, and one in my first two weeks? Documented right here on the Zabe Cast. Get to my bookie and get an account and start hammering! Come on now, it's winning season at my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is ten times more exciting when you got a little bit of something, something on it. Doesn't have to be a ton of money; could be ten bucks. It's the juice. It's fun thinking, yes, I just won lunch tomorrow at Chipotle. Sometimes you got a gut feeling about a game. You're just like, I got to go with it. If you don't have gut feelings, go with me. I'm hot right now. Regardless of how you play or how you've been betting for years, get with My Bookie. My Bookie is a rock solid place to get your sweet, sweet action on, not just the NFL. But college football now with the SEC coming back, the NBA playoffs headed towards the finals, and, of course, the Stanley Cup and a whole bunch more. Right now they've got a $100,000 super contest for only a $10 entry, and they're giving away five grand in cash prizes every four weeks You'd be crazy not to invest in your sports knowledge with that kind of potential return. Sign up at my bookie. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, to claim your 100% deposit match all the way up to 1000 bucks. That means if you put in $100, they will give you another 100 to gamble with. It's easy to jumpstart your bankroll this way. NFL, NBA, and MLB—they've got it all on tap, and it's never too late to get started. So let's go, my bookie—it's winning season now, exclusively at my bookie.
1: At Chiefit, we're tired of hearing "New Year, New You" fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt.
0: Today on the Zapecast, the mad scientist has knocked out the heavyweight champ. How Bryson tamed Wingfoot and what it means. The Packers are soaring while the Redskin potatoes get fried in the desert. A wild week two in the NFL, an MVP debate, coronavirus, and more. All that coming up. It's your high test, not street legal. Thirty minute dosage of pure me, locked and loaded. So buckle up and let's go. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Here we go. Monday, September 21st, 2021. Thank you for downloading. Just a reminder, this is a snack, this Zabecast. It is a supplement. It is sometimes an off-road vehicle in which I go far afield from your normal, typical sports talk radio grab and as such, I remind you to uh, please, if you can, listen to any or all of my six other hours of live radio Monday through Friday in both Milwaukee, Wisconsin on 973 the game, as well as in Washington, DC on the team nine eighty, you can find those frequencies and information in my Twitter bio at Zabe Charlie Zulu Alpha Bravo Echo. So if you got if you subscribe to Football Five Ways Friday or four and a half ways Friday, you would know. We went, at least I went, we, me, Zabe went 3-0 and this week. That was off of 2-0-1 in week number one. That would be, let me carry the one, divide by two. You know math is not my strong suit. Oh, undefeated, 5-0-1. Now, it was a greasy, grimy, but no apologies, 3-0. and Game number one was my lock of the week, and that was... The Giants, plus five and a half. Well, they get down 17 nothing early to the Bears on the road. They lose Saquon Barkley, possibly for the year, it looks like it, as I sit here and tape on Sunday night. And I'm like, well, there's one lock that is not going to happen. I tune in later. I check the score. I'm like, oh, 17-13. And they were driving for the go-ahead touchdown. In fact, they had a throw into the end zone on fourth down with no time left. That was batted away, and that is what ended it for the Giants. But still, that's a winner-winner chicken dinner. By the way, somebody on Twitter, and I don't understand this at all, somebody on Twitter came out of their little foxhole, wormhole, loser hole, and they were like, yeah, nice job on the lock with the Giants. Better luck next time, or something snarky like that. And I'm like, bro, that was a winner. That was a make-no-apologies winner, plus five and a half. You must be new to this gambling thing. Those crack me up the most when people talk shit about your point spread. First of all, <laughs> who cares? Who? Ca- Everyone's going to pick like ass during at, at some point during an NFL season. But to, to come out and chirp and to be totally wrong on the point spread, that – That's something. That's interesting right there. I I think that requires you to see a therapist to try to sort out what's going on. The second game was Tampa minus nine, and they were covering for much of the afternoon. Christian McCaffrey was one of many who went out with an injury uh, on this Sunday, and then it got close, and it got down to seven. And then Tampa or Carolina went for it on fourth down, did not convert, and you had like... (laughs) There was no way that that Tampa was going to cover, but then, boom! Leonard Fournette up the middle through a seam, and he runs away from everybody. I saw the highlight. And I said, I, "I can't believe it." Spreads now fourteen minus the nine. Win a win a chicken dinner two zero, and, oh, and then the Arizona Cardinals did what they did to the Washington Redskins potatoes. It was a little bit nerve wracking at the end, but we'll talk more about that in just a second. So there you go. If you like 3-0, I gave it to you on Friday. What did Mr. X do? Honestly, I didn't track his picks, but he'll tell you about it on Friday. So sign up today, and you can be part of our Friday gang as well, in addition to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Okay, 10 cuts for you today. Let me get through them as quick as I can. I want to go 30 minutes on these Monday through Thursdays. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Cut number one is Bryson deChambeau wins the United States Open at Wingfoot, and he does it in spectacular walkaway fashion. Minus six when nobody else was under par. Bryson DeChambeau bombed it and gouged it and got it up and got it down and made all the putts and won the U.S. Open. Goddamn impressive. You cannot, if you want to be intellectually honest, You cannot not tip your cap to this guy. He has done something that is, from a golf standpoint, insane. I want to reiterate that for those of you casual or non-golf fans listening right now. Nobody does what he has done. He took an already good PGA Tour career with wins under his belt, a President's Cup under his belt. He might have played in a Ryder Cup as well already, And last offseason he said, you know what, I'm coming back 30 pounds heavier and I'm going to start swinging even harder at the golf ball because I am in search of raw distance. And people are like, yeah, okay, Bryson, whatever. Shows up after the offseason, you're like, holy shit. Then the pandemic hits and he keeps on eating burritos and working out and lifting and swinging like a madman. He comes out of the pandemic and just starts boom, 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 top five, top five, win, top five, top. And yeah, you come to Wingfoot and you think, well, let's see how he does with these narrow ribbon fairways and this impossible rough that you can, Oh, what? Oh, he doesn't give a shit if he's in the rough. Cause he's a million miles down the fairway. What he is doing and what he has done is amazing. Now look, can he be a douchebag about the rules? Absolutely. Is he too fucking slow in terms of his pace of play? You betcha. Is he a little bit weird and aloof? Yes, he is. But you know what? What he's doing to me is amazing. And amongst the golf nerderati, I listened to some of the No Laying Up podcast after Saturday's round. It was all about the length, the length, and the USGA, and what are we going to do to roll it back, blah, 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 blah. But Brandel Chambly on the Golf Channel pointed out the U.S. Open has, it's one of the great myths of all time that the U.S. Open is won by guys who hit the fairway. Fairways and greens and fairways and greens and grind it out. Not true. Also, Chambly points out, when you're hitting it 330 plus in the air, your dispersion cone, as it were, is such that um, even a tiny little drift of the ball can make you miss the fairway. That hitting the fairway from those distances, 330 in the air, is almost an accident as much as it is by design. And it really doesn't matter when you're that strong and you generate that much clubhead speed and you're slicing through even deep, thick, fescue slash bluegrass slash bent grass rough, which is what this was. It's amazing to watch. He has he has done something that seemed nuts, and he is reaping the benefits. My only question is: Will anyone follow him? Will anyone say, "You know what? I'll have what he's having." Teach, teach me, Master Bryson. How, how many how many uh, Taco Bell chimichangas should I eat? How much should I lift? How hard should I swing? I'm um, just tell me the way. I shall follow you. I don't know if anyone is gonna follow him overtly. There are guys that lift. There are athletes on the PGA Tour that get in great shape. Rory McIlroy got in really great shape. Chamblee, by the way, criticized him for the weightlifting and how good he looked about it. Tiger was the first guy to really take it that to, to that level. But it's better athletes. I can't. Anyone who's a golfer who doesn't like the fact that now Bryson DeChambeau is making the gol- the, the game of golf l- less boring and more athletic. You're they, crazy. You're going to have to overlook or work through the fact that he can be a bit of a douchebag and that he plays pretty damn slow. I tell you what, I can't wait for the next time he and Brooks Kepka get paired together in a big tournament if Brooks can climb back onto the horse. Uh, I love how uh, Kepka, Brooks was not here, was the subhead somebody put on one of their posts on the U.S. Open. I would like to play Wingfoot sometime. It looks really, really nice. It looks harder than shit. I'd shoot a million, but I don't care. I'm a good guest, and I'll pay for snacks at the turn. Cut number two. Packers beat the Lions, and they beat the brakes off of them going away. Down 14-3 to early. All of a sudden, it is the Aaron Jones Show. He'll be with us on Tuesday morning on the Steve Zabin Show on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee. And we will talk to him about all that he can do for this team. He is not yet under contract, and they need to get him under contract, and they need to get over their idea the Packers do that, well, I'm not sure we want to pay big big bucks for a running back. This guy's hands are so good, and he is so adept as a pass catcher that Aaron Rodgers has no problem, and LaFleur has no problem splitting him out wide against a corner and having it, and throwing to him like Rodgers did on Sunday while completely covered on basically a back shoulder fade in the middle of the field. And he caught it because his hands are that good. It was the Aaron Jones show and he had the sunglasses to boot. 2 and 0 and the division is in collapse. The Vikings look god awful. Yeah, the Bears are 2 and 0. But did they look good going 2 and 0? Not really. And the Lions are now 0 and 2. Only concern with the Packers right now is certain injuries, obviously. Uh they may they they may get back Kenny Clark sometime soon. Uh, Devontae Adams left the game with a hamstring, so this annual dance with him is going to continue. But they get the Saints next Monday, and what a break. They get the Saints minus crowd noise, and or minus live fans. They'll pipe it in. And minus probably, maybe Michael Thomas, although I'll bet you a dollar he plays on Monday night. We'll see. It's a good break so far. Packers out to a hell of a start, and they're looking like, Every bit a 12-win team as they were last year, but maybe a better 12-win team. Cut number three, the Woof and Zona falls flat. Another chucklehead on Twitter is like, oh, I said, and by the way, the Woof is playing about like I expected. Oh, you expected them to be down 20 to nothing? I'm like, about, you dickwad. I thought this was a bad matchup. I said Kyler Murray was going to be a huge headache for this front seven because while they're good, and relentless at rushing the passer. He is too quick, too fast, and too cagey. Again, every now and then, I'm right. I mean, if I don't toot my own horn when I'm right, then who's going to toot it for me, especially in these COVID paranoid times? So, Kyler Murray was a huge problem. Uh, The D-line and McLaurin are basically the two strengths of strengths. The D-line and Terry McLaurin are pretty much what this team has going for it right now. They may have, going for it, uh, Haskins, who was good at times, okay at others, eh, otherwise. But offensively, they just don't have much talent. They fed the ball a lot to the two pedestrian running backs, especially J.D. McKissick, who charge-called J.D. McSuckett. He had a pretty big game. McKissick, Daniels, Antonio Daniels, the rookie out of Memphis, had a nice touchdown, kapow! But the game was out of reach early and stayed out of reach for most of the game. What will be talked about big time, and I can't explain it, is Ron Rivera walking into the locker room with all three second-half timeouts in his pocket. Wow. I've heard that a lot of coaches are adopting some of the new analytics and the new metrics, so to speak, in the NFL. I've seen a lot more fourth downs being gone for. Is that the right phrase, the right tense of that? I see a lot more coaches going for it on fourth down all over the field in all situations. And I'm like, okay, good. Somebody finally read the fucking numbers. Don't give the ball up. Go for it, you pussies. This punting shit. Oh, field position. Yeah, we're going to field position the other team to death. No, you're not. Not in today's NFL. Keep the ball. You got a convertible fourth down? Go for it. And then deal with the fallout, depending on what happens. Anyway, maybe part of the new... Metrics is to uh, treat your second half timeouts like such gold, you may not spend them at all. And then you can put them in a mythical bank to use later. I don't think I've ever seen a coach basically not call timeouts when you're down two, were they down two scores at the end? Um, They could have called timeouts. Bottom line is this. You call timeouts well before you get to the final two minutes, Ron Rivera, just to slow the damn game down. Just to extend things a little bit more, you call them on defense to make what is normally a 60 minute game a 62 and 22 minute long game. Well, that would be 40 plus I count timeouts as 40 second coupons for time. So 40 plus 40 plus 40. That's what?
3: 40 carries.
0: That's two minutes of time. I'm I'm pretty good. Two minutes of time. Make a 60-minute game a 62-minute game. He used none of them. None. And I'm sure he's got some explanation. I've not yet fished it out of the interwebs because I, I didn't have time before I sat down in front of the mic. I'm sure it's an, it's an explanation. Who the fuck knows what it is. Use your timeouts for God's sakes. My buddy Lyle Jackson calls me out of the blue. Hadn't heard from Lyle in a long time. High school friend. And I hate seeing those phone calls because whenever you know, you're 52 years old and a high school buddy you haven't talked to in a long time calls you, what are the chances that's a good phone call? Right. Not great, usually. I pick it up, though, first ring, because that's, uh, that's how I am with my boy, Kyle. And he says, what the fuck was that? Because <laughs> he's a huge Redskin fan. I go, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen it. I've seen so many things in the NFL, like anyone who's my age or even younger than me, who's watched three bags full, one, two, screen one, screen two, screen three of NFL football, week in, week out, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think I've ever seen a coach who's losing, walk into the locker room and then and then hold on a second. I need a prop sound effect here. There we go. Walk into the locker room and then start fishing out of his pockets. Let's see receipt from Chipotle and oh, look at this. Shit. I had all I had all my timeouts in my pocket. Do we lose? Oh, we lose. Fuck. Damn it. Next time I got to do better. Cut number three, LeBron's MVP wine. LeBron James did not win the MVP late last week. It went to Giannis Atentacumpo. Giannis, who said after winning it last year, don't call me MVP until I win it again. He wins it again this year. He says, don't, still don't call me MVP until I win a championship. He also says he sees no reason why they can't, he can't stay in Milwaukee if they build a championship team around him and with him, and that sounds like all the right words and phrases, but how many times have we heard that from other stars in other cities? Anyhow, back to LeBron James. Here is why LeBron James, while I openly and willingly say he's been playing amazing basketball at his age with his miles, this following statement, this soundbite, is exactly why I, LeBron has never been my flavor of athlete
3: never ever ever come on piss me off it's my truly that's my true answer um, it pissed me off because um, out of 101 votes I got 16 first first place votes um, that's what pissed me off more than anything um, you know not saying that um, you know the the winner wasn't deserving of the MVP but um,
0: but I just wanted more votes.
3: Fuck off. But that pissed me off. Um, and I finished second a lot in my in my career. Um, oh, boo-hoo. Either from a championship and now four times as an MVP. Um, you know, like I said, I never, I never came into this league saying, let me uh, be MVP or, or um, you know, be a champion. I've always said I just want to get better and better every single day. So then why do you give a fuck? and uh, those things that take care of herself. Um, there's some things that's just out of my hand and some things you can't control. Um, but So then why be pissed off? So
0: you have the contrast between Giannis who wins it and says, don't call me MVP until I do it again. Then he wins it again and says, you know what, still don't call me it until we win a championship. And here's LeBron who's already won it four times, who didn't really deserve it, not based on the numbers this year. Certainly didn't deserve it last year when he didn't have Anthony Davis and he's pissed off. Okay. As I like to say, if that's your guy, you can have him. If that's the kind of thing you like, then that's the thing that those people will like. And and I saw the comments to it and they're like, yeah, LeBron, way to go. There was quite a few LeBron stands going, you tell him, man. Which brings us to the main event today, which is Cut five, Gottlieb versus Maria Taylor. Here we go again. Apparently, Maria Taylor not only got an MVP vote, even though she does very limited work with the NBA, she hosts the NBA Countdown Show, but has not been doing that very long, also does college football, is very good on the college football you know tailgate show, pregame show, The live, what do they call it, the uh, college game day. But she does a lot of different things. On the four letters. She was given an MVP vote and whoops left Anthony Davis off not only the first team, not only the second team, but the third team as well. Implying that she thinks Anthony Davis is not in the first 15 best players in the NBA. Holy fucking oversight, Batman. You've got to be kidding me. So Gottlieb points out rightfully Oh my God, come on. This is, ter- this is a terrible ballot. Are you kidding me? And why does she even have one? She's, she does a lot of stuff. She's spread kind of thin. And, um, you know, there's others who could basically said there'd be others who would be better voters than her. And this kind of confirms it. Well, of course. Here we go again. White middle-aged radio host taking on the young black female good-looking unicorn, as Jason Whitlock puts it. And I will get to that Whitlock column in just a second because it's spectacular. And Maria Taylor basically says, I, I've earned everything. I deserve all this success, and I deserve this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're getting a far afield here. How the fuck do you think that Anthony Davis is not one of the top 15 players in the league? If there was an NBA expansion draft right now, every player, based on age, talent, ability to affect wins and losses... Anthony Davis would not make it out of the top five. In fact, I dare say he wouldn't make it out of the top three. But whatever. So uh, Whitlock weighs in with a column that is spectacular without any qualification to that word at all. It truly is. I have rarely had, I've rarely read something where my jaw was like, oh my God. But this was so good because what Whitlock has done by leaving Fox Sports, apparently he left a contract offer to stay. It was about for flat money. I'm sure it was close to seven figures, if not slightly more, to join Clay Travis at this upstart multimedia site, OutKick. What Whitlock has done, and he alluded to this, and we had him on here, he said, who's wait? Okay, I had him on. That was cheesy. Sorry, I shouldn't say. Yeah, oh, we we had him on, I'm implying I've got a big staff of people. I had him on, and this is what he alluded to: is that at this point he just wants to be uncancelable. And when you're uncancelable, cancelable. I have a hard time with words today. When you can't be canceled, you can drop bombs like this column headline: Maria Taylor can continue as the unicorn if she avoids nailing herself to the same cross as Michelle Beadle and Jamel Hill. Whitlock begins. Maria Taylor enjoys the exact same privilege that catapulted Aaron Andrews to television stardom. Oh boy, here we go. Taylor is tall, attractive, and quite personable on television. Her career as a collegiate volleyball and basketball player at Georgia adds to her credibility as a sideline reporter and NBA host. But let's don't kid ourselves, writes Whitlock. The 33-year-old Taylor would not be the host of NBA Countdown, nor would she vote on the league's most prestigious award if she were short, unattractive, and grumpy. Jason Whitlock, writes Whitlock, at age 33, 43, or 53, could not get any of the jobs ESPN has handed Taylor. Neither could a long list of highly qualified female sports journalists who I will not name. Beauty, most especially in television, has a privilege that trumps virtually all others. Ring-a-ding-ding. But to see it written by a guy with credibility and really excellent sports writing chops, I tell you, that's spectacular. Beauty intoxicates TV executives, ding. Bloggers and journalists, ding-ding. And it masks a lack of accomplishment qualifications, and skill. Beauty transformed Katie Nolan from bartender to seven-figure television personality. Oh! Wow! Oh, oh, no, no, he didn't! No, he didn't! No, he didn't! No, he didn't! I mean... That is, if ever there was a time for the Ghanian funeral meme, it is right now with that line. Wow. Because you know what? He's not wrong. Beauty took her from a bartender, which there's no shame in it, to a seven-figure TV personality who is now only available, oh, by the way, on ESPN plus their digital platform because they'd really had no room for her on television, which is kind of hard to believe. Sorry for your loss there, Katie Nolan. More on her in a second, by the way. All right. So back to the uh, the point of it all. He says, Emmy Award winner and the darling of aroused bloggers and TV critics willing to ignore... Her pedestrian humor and her inability to execute live television. He's not wrong. I bring all this up because the most talented young female sports TV host, Maria Taylor, is in the process of undermining her meteoric rise by wallowing in victimhood. Taylor forgot to name Lakers center Anthony Davis to her first, second, or third all-team NBA ballot. Fox Sports. Okay, went through it. You know, uh, I'll skip ahead. As it relates to to NBA voting privileges, says Whitlock, Taylor has not worked hard for that. The super-woke NBA gifted Taylor that privilege because ESPN fast-tracked Taylor into the job of NBA countdown host. The NBA would rather hand a high-profile female journalist an opportunity rather than have her earn it with several years of credible work. True, true, true. It's a combination of female privilege and beauty privilege in the age of the matriarchy. Let me clarify my long held position on Maria Taylor, he says, and this will be compliments. She's the most talented person to hold ESPN's coveted college game day sideline job. She's an on air natural. Unlike Andrews, who's a terrific sideline reporter, Taylor is also a skilled host. Yes. Do you remember when, uh, uh, you remember when, uh, I believe, uh, sorry, stumbling here. Remember when Aaron Andrews was given the hosting job on college football on Fox? And it was like, yeah, something missing. And I'm, I'm generally positive. Aaron Andrews is positive. I'm a, I'm a fan. But when she hosted that show behind a desk, you're like, I'm not feeling it for whatever reason. Anyway, Whitlock says there is nothing on television Taylor cannot do. She's a unicorn. Compliment, compliment, compliment. The only thing that can stop Maria Taylor from enjoying a long, successful TV career is if she goes the path of Michelle Beadle and starts taking herself way too seriously. For the most part, says Whitlock, people watch TV. people people uh, people watch people on TV who they believe share their values and sensibilities. TV executives call it likability. When a consumer turns on a television, they're inviting the host into their homes. People do not consistently invite angry people into their homes. Sports fans don't invite non-sports fans into their homes when they want to enjoy sports. Beatle made it obvious she doesn't like sports or sports fans, particularly football fans. She thinks they're stupid and racist. It's the same mistake Jamel Hill made. I never question whether Taylor likes sports. I'm starting to question whether she likes sports fans. This is the danger of sports hosts wearing their Twitter-approved political and racial point of view on TV and across social media. You decrease and limit your audience. You serve a niche. You pander to the Twitter mob that foolishly tries to end racism with racism. He also points out that Gottlieb's tweet is actually the opposite of sexism. He's holding Taylor to the same standard he would any man. If a man had made the same mistake as Taylor, he'd be accused of being lazy and or racist. In 2013, Gary Washburn had to explain why he voted for Carmelo Anthony as MVP over LeBron James. In 2016, there was a nationwide manhunt for the three baseball writers who failed to include Ken Griffey Jr. on their Hall of Fame ballot. Criticism is the background, of music, background music of success. Taylor's having a lot of success. Scrutiny and criticism of her performance are natural. It's a sign of respect. Anyhow, he says, you nail yourself to a cross on TV and Twitter when you take yourself too seriously. Beetle and Hill died on those crosses. It'd be a shame if it happened to the unicorn. (laughs) That is so jaw-droppingly dead on, honest, dead right, and just, wow. Now, apparently, of course... Uh, Katie Nolan got wind of it and on Twitter clapped back as the kids like to say, and then did the whole, keep up that same energy next time we meet. Yeah. I don't think Whitlock's quaking in his shoes over, uh, you know, Katie Nolan. Anyway, it's a hell of a column. I think it's worth reading or well, maybe you don't have to read it. I just read most of it. Yeah, I know. When did this become a reading podcast? Sorry, I'm reading too much. Let's get back to what I've got here. Cut number six. COVID pagan sacrifice. So I'm watching all these NFL games go on, and I see Jerry World with their 20,000 fans. It's a new COVID-era record for fans in a U.S. sporting event, maybe. There might have been a race that had 20,000. I don't know. Might have been a college football game with 20,000. I don't know. But for the NFL, it's a high watermark. It was jarring to see a good 20,000 fans rejoicing in the Cowboys' incredible, insane comeback win against the (laughs) choking Falcons. And then to see every other stadium dead empty. In fact, to see the shiny silver bleachers of Lambeau Field dead empty, not a soul in them, while a game was being played on a glorious fall afternoon in Green Bay, Wisconsin, hurt my heart. I just hate it. And I just haven't heard any explanation as to why teams are going to take two weeks off, two home games off of any fans, and then reevaluate. I haven't heard anything that says, well, here's the why of two weeks. Here is the how of we can't even do 5,000 to begin with. None of it. It makes no sense. There's no logic. There's no actual medical underpinning to it. It is like the title of this cut, a COVID pagan Sacrifice. I looked it up on uh, Wikipedia. Human sacrifice is the act of killing one or more humans as part of a ritual, usually intended to please or appease the gods or spirits or the dead ancestors, such as a propitiatory offering or as a retainer sacrifice when a king's servants are killed in order for them to continue to serve their master in the next life. In other words, it is some medieval ancient mumbo fucking jumbo. And I think that's what NFL owners are doing right here. They're throwing two giant piles of money in the form of gate receipts and maybe not giant piles because they would be reduced crowds. They're making a COVID pagan sacrifice to the gods to try not to anger the local authorities, the politicians, the health officials because these owners are billionaires and the games are at least going on on TV. So that's where their real bread is buttered. So it's like they're waiting two weeks and then they're going to start turning the spigot on. Because they found all of one person at the Chiefs game on Thursday night to open the season that was COVID positive. They don't even know how or where the person got it. Who knows if it's a false positive? But that's it. One. And they contact trace him, contact traced that person and their family to the end of the earth. And then when it comes to masks. I just gotta relay this story from my visit down to my daughter at Christopher Newport. We went went to get some we had got some sandwiches, went out to a picnic table at the uh this park off campus, off campus, very crucial, off campus park near the uh Maritime Mariner Museum, whatever down there in Newport News. It's a beautiful park and there's a couple picnic tables, a beautiful day. And so we go and we park and we sit down at the picnic table. There's basically nobody around us. I notice a young gal my daughter's age walking up from a further parking lot about 100 yards down the way alone with her arm full of something like boxes as she got closer I could see that they were little board games and card games as she was walking towards us her classmates or her friends I guess arrived in another car got out and all three of them immediately put their masks on this other young woman was also wearing a mask as she walked up with her arm full of games. I couldn't resist it. I just I sighed deeply and I go, unbelievable. And my, my wife and my daughter looked at me and they're like, What? And I go, The masks. What what in the fuck are they doing? Seriously. And that started a little bit of a mini-argument, and my daughter was like, we don't even notice them anymore. And I said, but you don't have to wear them here. You're not on campus. There's nobody in this open-air park. Why? And there was no good answers to that other than just, okay, Dad, shut up. You're ruining the picnic. And so I, did, I complied. I shut up. But it broke my heart just because I thought, what is the indoctrination going on? What is the motivation? What is the thinking behind it? Whatever happened to the rebellious youth who would be like, okay, finally, I'm off campus. This fucking mask. I know this thing doesn't work unless they really do believe it does work in some way, shape, or form or that they feel like they are being virtuous or that they are afraid of being shamed or it's just a group thing like, hey, come on, guys. I know this. If way back when Fauci was saying, don't buy masks, come on, that's not going to do anything. Remember those days in early March on 60 Minutes? By the way, the video of that, if you go Google Fauci masks 60 Minutes, normally there'd be a million examples. Here's the video, here's the video. No, no, no. It's the first link Google gives you is why Anthony Fauci changed guidance on masks. So a explainer, a rationalizations. A rationalization. The second link is, um, what is the second link that I saw that was in it? Uh, it was something else that was a total misdirection. But it wasn't the video of the masks. That, that's for damn sure. Anyway, I know this. If Trump had come out real hard like he did with the travel ban from China and before masks were these magical things, which could prevent COVID. They haven't anywhere in the world. Look at the graphs. Look at the lines drawn. Mask mandate. Boop, right here. Here's your cases. up like a ramp. If Trump had said back then, when Fauci was saying, you don't need masks, if Trump said, everybody will wear a mask, it's a national mandate, I order it, then those young girls in that open park just wanting to sit down together and play some games, a beautiful, sunshiny day, wouldn't be caught wearing a mask for all the money in the world. They'd be like, fuck Trump. Fucking do this dictator bullshit. But it's the other way around now, and it's the darndest thing. Okay, let's move on. Cut number seven, RIPRBG. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away on Friday night. It has launched the predictable shitstorm. And it has launched a million takes from amateur Supreme Court watchers far and wide. I won't get into it too much here other than just to say, you know, RBG and Anthony Scalia, Antonin, not Anthony, Antonin Scalia, were apparently friends on the court despite being literally bookends, conservative, strict constructionist versus RBG, uh, very liberal and living document interpretation of the court. But here's the one net-net as you boil it all down. The way the Democrats went all in against Kavanaugh, the absolute dirty pool, over-the-top, insane hatchet job they tried to execute on him, well, now the gloves are off. Now, literally, even the normally spineless Republicans, even that normal jellyfish, Mitch McConnell, who I can't stand, it sucks that he is the guy you have to turn to, you're like, are you going to do anything about this? No, you're not. You're jellyfish. Good. Even he, they're, they're like, well, what do we got to lose? Like we had this perfectly acceptable, absolutely stellar legal candidate in terms of experience and a absolutely perfect background check in everything. And we're still going to call him a rapist and produce these unbelievable, literally unbelievable, fanciful accusations of rape and everything else. So the gloves are off. So it looks like the Republicans and the Democrat or the Republicans and the Senate are going to nominate and install a new justice. And then what happens from there? We'll see. Good luck if you're living in a Democrat city. Then there's this cut number eight. I don't think I'm going to get to ten because I'm already at 38 minutes. So let me go ahead and wrap it up. I'll go, I'll skip cut nine for today. I'll go cut eight to cut nine or to cut ten. Cut eight. Grateful to play. I love this. Pete Thamel reporting on the Cincinnati Bearcats, who have quite a team this year under head coach Luke Fickle. Uh, they beat the pants off of Austin P uh, on Friday. 55 to 20, it was on September 19th, so that would have been Saturday. Here's what Luke Fickle said after the game. Quote, I think I may have over-evaluated not having spring and not having fans. Our kids, I don't think they were impacted by it at all. I was making a bigger deal of it than they did. I give them credit, shows great maturity. He said he was surprised at how little impact to no impact, no fans had. Said Fickle, quote, These kids were more grateful to play and excited to play. I overanalyzed some of the things that may have been issues. Yes. Exactly. Of course these, they just want to play. That's what they do. They've dedicated their young lives to playing this sport they love and they understand how how precious it is. They don't give a fuck about anything else. Let us play. Those were beautiful quotes. And sometimes when it comes to fans, they just say, let me fucking watch the game in person. I don't care what it takes. There was apparently an impromptu grandstand over the fencing and just off property at Wingfoot that had about a dozen people watching one tiny sliver of one hole. Of the U.S. Open. But hey, as Jeff Goldblum said in the movie Jurassic Park, uh, 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 life it finds a way. Fans, find a way. Well, here's the topper. A fan snuck into Fenway Park and delayed the Red Sox-Yankee game on Sunday. <laughs> Some dude in a Red Sox jersey and hat somehow got into Fenway Park. Who knows how? He's up there on the green monster. He's throwing shit onto the field. He stopped the game. They had to send security up to get him. It's insane because the Red Sox stink this year. They're 20 and 34 amongst the three worst teams in baseball. And yet, like Jeff Goldblum said, uh, 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 life, It, 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 it finds a way. It goes around. Fans, crazy as they are, will find a way to somehow get in. All right, that is enough, 41 minutes and change here of this supposedly supplemental version of all the Zabe goodness you get every day, 6 to 9 a.m. East Coast time or Central time, which would be 7 to 10, but 6 to 9 a.m. on 97.3, the game in Milwaukee, and then again at 4 to 7. No, three to six. Actually, you don't even know the times. Drive right. three to six. They moved me up an hour. Three to six. Afternoon drive on the team 980 in DC. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this little podcast, send it around to some friends. Tell them, hey, here's a guy who really makes some good points. You ought to listen to him and doesn't take himself too fucking seriously. Most of the time, humble bragging three and oh yeah, I was three and zero though. Again, if I don't toot it, if I don't toot my three and oh's, nobody's going to do it for me. So. Suck on it, bitches. 2 0 1 week one, 3 0 this week. I'm undefeated. I'm not going to miss a pick all year long. Mark my words. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a great Monday, and we will see you tomorrow! Let me ask you a question. Are you on the train? Are you on the incredible Zabe train that has pulled out of the station? 5-0-1 oh, in my first two weeks, documented right here on the ZabeCast. Get to my bookie and get an account and start hammering. Come on now. It's winning season at my bookie. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when you got a little bit of something, something on it. Doesn't have to be a ton of money. Could be 10 bucks. It's the juice. It's fun thinking, yes, I just won lunch tomorrow at Chipotle. Sometimes you got a gut feeling about a game. You're just like, I got to go with it. If you don't have gut feelings, go with me. I'm hot right now. Regardless of how you play, or how you've been betting for years. Get with my bookie. My bookie is a rock solid place to get your sweet sweet action on, not just the NFL, but college football now with the SEC coming back, the NBA playoffs headed towards the finals and of course the Stanley Cup and a whole bunch more. Right now they've got a $100,000 super contest for only a $10 entry and they're giving away 5 grand in cash prizes every 4 weeks. You'd be crazy not to invest in your sports knowledge with that kind of potential return. Sign up at my bookie, use promo code Zabe Charlie Zulu Alpha Bravo Echo to claim your 100 deposit match, all the way up to a thousand bucks. That means if you put in a hundred, they'll give you another hundred to gamble with. It's easy to jumpstart your bankroll this way. NFL, NBA, and MLB, they've got it all on tap, and it's never too late to get started. So let's go. My Bookie, it's winning season now exclusively at My Bookie
1: at SheFit, we're so over beach bodies and getting bikini ready. You should be empowered to wear anything you want, except a bad sports bra. You deserve better. You deserve a bra with fit and support like no other. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually performs. Fully adjustable to fit your body with 50% less bounce than the Nike Pro. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at shefit.com slash 2022.